the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Shipping has never been short of risk, but the long list of potential perils keeping the industry awake at night seems to be growing ever longer by the year. And it's that time of year again where Lloyd's List likes to take stock of the hazards and threats facing the industry via our annual poll and the must-attend event of the season, that is the Lloyd's List Outlook Forum. Those of you who were with us earlier in the week for this discussion will have already clocked the headlines, revealing that regulatory uncertainty, compliance cost and supply chain disruption have predictably topped the list of industry concerns shaping business decisions this year. If you missed it, fear not. I've got a few choice insights and extras coming up for you now, but you can watch the whole event on demand. Just head to loislist.com and follow the instructions on the homepage. The fact that lack of regulatory clarity is concerning business leaders is perhaps unsurprising, but balancing regulatory uncertainty with the more immediate concerns of supply chain disruption, inflation, and a looming workforce skills crisis is going to require maritime business leaders to juggle short and long-term risk management. Those who Those who can keep all the balls in the air and move the industry ahead at pace on key issues such as the zero carbon transition, they will remain in the game. Those found to be dropping balls are increasingly at risk in a market that is only going to become more complex. As ABS Chairman, President and Chief Executive Chris Vernicki explains here, you need to manage immediate, mid and long term risk all at the same time. This is something very important. I mean, we have... A lot of, uh, you know, changes and and obviously a lot of challenges, Um, everything from regulations becoming much stronger, shipping shapers to new technologies and, quite frankly, the pace of change of technology. But I think what we're going to see here is I think you're going to see regulatory uncertainty really be a greater global shaper than we have ever seen before. I mean, if you just look at today, because, you know, most owners are kind of approaching this with a short game, mid game and long game and looking at, okay, what do they do right now to future proof their vessels? How do they bridge and transition going forward? Recognize and I'm sure we'll talk about this relative to fuel availability, scalability and technology. But if you look at the data today, what's very interesting is there is about 80 percent of the global trading fleets going to have to do some technical upgrade to meet the minimum energy efficiency standard within EEXI. And although EEXI is just a one-time hurdle, the real story going forward is going to be how to meet the carbon intensity, the CII uh, trajectory, because I think that is going to present a new dynamic for the industry. I think that is actually going to, in some ways, be a little bit of a market mechanism because Everybody is using that, Uh, everyone from the regulators to the financiers, even to the governments. And how um, the shipping industry is going to navigate uh, down this CII trajectory to ensure itself that it doesn't kind of um, get to grades it doesn't want to get to, I think is going to be very, very um, important. And I think it's going to have a really, really big effect uh, relative to what, uh, what we see. Uh, with respect to um, uh, both the pace and speed of not only digitization, but uh, kind of that, uh, how do we approach that short game that we have in front of us? That issue of the pace of change running through the industry was a topic that was repeatedly picked up by all the panelists on the Outlook Forum this year. 
While the Lois List Outlook Forum poll has previously indicated that strategic decisions regarding shipping's zero-carbon transition had effectively been deferred in the hope of regulatory clarity from the IMO, this year's survey that we ran in advance of the Outlook Forum reveals a shift in attitude. Rather than focusing on the slow pace of regulatory consensus as the starting point for zero-carbon plans, the priority has now shifted to the quick wins and first-mover projects that can create demand signals and secure public sector and private investment at pace. According to City's Chairman of Shipping and Logistics Business, Michael Parker, if the industry can offer certified evidence of viable zero-carbon projects, then private sector investment is going to follow, because there's now a huge mutual incentive for everybody to make this work, he argues. The key word that came out in COP I can't remember in more than one event, was certification. If something is certified, the financing, governments, finance, and everyone else will buy into it. It'll then be up to the IMO to say, okay, it's been certified, we'll now put these regulations around it. I think the frustration has been by fuel producers and other people is that until certification of something happens, it's very difficult to sort of get the huge investment. But I think it's the acknowledgement by government that they can't afford to do this all by themselves. They don't know what decisions and practice to make. And therefore, if the private sector will sort of make things financeable with government support in a way that is, uh, you know, recognised, you know, hence contracts for difference, either there's a structure and a process and a methodology that has worked before is acceptable that doesn't involve a a loss to taxpayers, sort of, it's a subsidy, but not a loss, mm. then then I think, yes, that's absolutely crucial. I think also multilateral agencies, so sort of between government and the private sector, are going to be key in this too. But their mandates are all, all about investing in new technology, investing in green and everything else. So everyone has the same motivation. And therefore, if people believe that the technology works, then people will invest in it. That's why certification becomes very important. This isn't, you know, would you go up in a jumbo jet sort of, you know, fueled by banana skins or whatever it is. I mean, it's sort of, people will trust if LR and BV and DNV and even ABS say this works and the operations people in the shipping companies who actually also understand all that stuff say, yes, it works. And our emissions, by the way, are now 10, 15, 30% lower or whatever it is. People are going to pile in. People pile in because, and I keep making this point internally, every item of cargo moved in a zero emission vessel is zero emissions for the cargo owner as well under scope three or even scope two. So there's a huge mutual incentive to make this work for everyone. And I think that's what brings, unlike, you know, the pre- environmental world, the, the incentive for cargo to go for price. Price is no longer important, it's emissions. While the pace of the regulatory debate was clearly foremost in the minds of our panel this year in discussing the risk outlook for shipping, there were, of course, a number of other issues on their list of things keeping them awake at night. Sadan Kapnoglu, chief executive of Kapnoglu Shipping and former president of BIMCO, agreed that Pace was now required in the transition to zero-carbon shipping, but warned that the industry could no longer focus solely on the shipping sector. 
this regulation is wider than the ships, the ship owners, ports, or the charters. So we need everybody in the game all together. So for me, this is the biggest risk because if somebody dropped the ball, then we will be all out of the game. And then, of course, the end consumer will suffer. Similarly, Monique Gizet, the global shipping lead at KPMG, warned the Outlook Forum that the current interest in the industry coming from investors keen to benefit from the record profits they're experiencing, particularly in the container sector, of course, risks an overcapacity crisis in years to come. What we currently can see is a market situation that has never been there before. So we have vessel values that increased uh, five times. And we have banks, investors around the globe that would like to also get a slice of the cake and start to reinvest in shipping. So which is a situation that we have not had before because we went through a crisis for almost 20 years or, or let's say 15 years. So what I see is, well, now the industry is really earning money and they have the money to invest now, but they don't know where to invest. So they don't know in which fuel, in which propulsion, because of this um, regulatory uncertainty. I guess that is a risk. So, and the second thing is that, again, banks and private equity investors they are looking, well, everyone says they are looking for sustainable investments. But now, as they see that the situation is so good, at least for, let's say, three to five years, they are investing on vessel values that are potentially too high due to a market situation. And while I'm really wondering, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm very interested how the other speakers see that, I'm really looking at the market and wondering and ask myself, is it going to happen again that we run into a crisis because everyone is now so enthusiastic? And for me, this situation with the market now with the high rates and the vessel potentially will last for three years, potentially, maybe four years. So are we again heading towards a crisis and then in the end, once we are ready and we have regulation when it comes to sustainability and we have a fuel, there is no money anymore to invest in alternative uh, fuels or in decarbonization. And, and that is really a point that has not been mentioned before, but that is really something I see now because while everyone calls me and says, so where are the vessels? Where can I invest? Yeah, and, and this is really a strange situation. We had that in 2007, in 2007, around that, and then we went directly into a crisis. So I don't know, but this is a, a very difficult risk that needs to be managed as well, besides decarbonization. So overcapacity and regulatory uncertainty were certainly high on the risk ranking, but there were plenty of other concerns here as well. Frank Olson, chief executive of Inchcape Shipping Services, sided with the 21% of the Outlook poll respondents who flagged inflation as the most significant factor affecting shipping markets over the next two years. Yeah, I think uh, from my point of view, I, I actually want to emphasize the more macro element. And, and for me, the big thing here is inflation, right? Uh, the reason I say that is that if we have an, an, a high inflationary pressure, 
the financial mechanisms are there, there isn't a lot left to to salvage um, an economy that that might spiral downwards um, and that'll have a few a huge cascading negative effect right on on everything from uh, consumption and, and actually the, the demand for goods uh, down to financing available for ships uh, so from my point of view I, I see kind of the, the macro element and and, and the, the mention of uh, 2007 2008 kind of that that resonates with me and um, I don't think we have um, a lot of, of margin to go on here we're in in this kind of super hype climate for for most uh, sectors within shipping. Um, I think the regulatory uncertainty and, uh, and pressure, it's, it's a pain, it's a challenge and it's a pain. It's something we have to go through, but it'll move in, in shipping and then with the IMO as a driver at a fairly slow pace. I think most people will be able to cope with that. Um, I think there is uh, something around the compliance and being an, uh, uh, a healthy and, and responsible operator because if you breach the sanctions in the right circumstance it'll put you out of business so i i can see that as an existential risk for for certain players but for me certainly inflation which again will will dampen the shipping markets uh will come to a situation where there will be a lack of financing and in the end then a lot of the actors will not uh, be able to afford uh complying with the regulations the one question that the entire panel were agreed on, along with over 75% of our Outlook poll respondents, was that of a looming workforce skills crisis being a significant and underrated risk right across the industry. Here's Frank Olson again. I think in, in this whole um, discussion, this is probably the easiest answer or easiest question to answer. And, and I would say it's, it's a definite yes. And it's nothing new. It, uh, it's something that has been brewing for probably since I went to see some 20 years uh, back. Um, and I think there are a number of issues, right? So you have um, being a seafarer during COVID has been uh, quite a grueling experience for many. Uh, I think quite a lot of the seafarers who can find an alternative shore will do it. I think they're looking now. I think there is something about the general demographic and, and the, gener the millennials or the generation set or whatever you call them, who will probably not be as inclined to go to sea. And it doesn't matter whether you come from Eastern Europe or from Scandinavia or from the Philippines or in China. Uh, young people will probably see less of an interest in it. Uh, and to augment this uh, skills gap even further, Whatever the solution is to, to reduce the carbon footprint of shipping and eventually decarbonizing it, it will require a lot more technologically advanced solutions and much more complex operations. And just to throw something in there, which I personally uh, believe quite firmly, is that we can't talk about decarbonizing shipping without talking about nuclear. Uh, and once you start talking nuclear, again, the skill issue comes up. So. Um, I think this is um, it's a burning issue. Uh, I think this is one uh, one of these we'll have one of these old fudge moments where we keep talking about it for for a decade and and we say well you yeah, ever we talk about it we think it's an issue but actually it hasn't happened yet. But I think the uh, on the shore side we talk about the great resignation now on the back of COVID people are uh, leaving they're changing jobs and and finding different career paths and we will see the same in shipping. 
And the problem with shipping is that you can't put someone through uh, a six-week course to get them off to scratch. So uh, I find mm. this deeply concerning, and I think part of where you have to start is how you treat CFER, that you treat them as people and, and as em employees and, and valued human beings and not just as CFERs. So there you have it. I've only offered you a few highlights here from the Outlook discussion, and the poll results are also very illuminating as a sentiment indicator on the key issues shaping the industry right now. A recording of the Lloyd's List Outlook Forum is available to view on demand. Uh, register by clicking on the banner on Lloyd'sList.com homepage and follow the instructions from the email that you will be sent direct to your inbox. While I'm plugging other things you should be watching, can I also highly recommend the video that Lloyd's List has produced looking at the five steps the industry needs to take to achieve its zero carbon ambition. I am biased, of course, I feature in this video, but I really think this is one of the best things that we've produced this year, and it features insights from pretty much every industry leader you can think of. So please do check it out and let me know what you think. For now, though, that's it for another week. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back with you again next Friday. Bye.